Hey, podcast family, welcome to another episode, and I am now in our clinic. Frida! See, one of the benefits of doing things on the move is that you get random people who walk by you. Say hello, Frida. Hello. So Frida is one of our great MAs. Uh, Bye, Frida. So in this episode, we're going to talk about something super interesting because isn't it a time right now when we should have much more open birth control access? Don't you think, right? Uh, Or at least have less fears about birth control. Not long ago, we did an episode that we talked about this weird study that come out about an association, not causation, but an association with contraception and and mood disturbances. And in that episode, we said, oh, great. The last thing we need now is is more fear on taking one of the most common birth control modalities uh, worldwide, which is the pill. Well, we're in the same boat again. Because on September the 6th, out of a fantastic journal, which is BMJ, there was a strange publication. I don't mean strange that it was bad. It was actually very well done. But a concerning publication that showed this association between the use of certain, not all, so let's start there, certain oral birth control pills and NSAIDs and the risk of VTE. Uh, And on this end, just FYI, I mean, that triggered just a firestorm of emails and commentaries. And we're going to cover some of that in this episode. Uh, I was in communication with the college, with ACOG. I had a buddy who's a contact at ASRM. They're all aware of this study. And we're going to put that study into proper perspective. So here's the take home. So the the big uh, nail biter, right? The big uh, surprise was that chronic use of NSAIDs, specifically one in particular that we'll discuss, with certain types of oral contraceptive pills uh, significantly increase the risk of VTE, like significantly. And so that right there, when we talk about relative risk, the relative risk was much higher. However, the actual number is really, really low. And that's the thing that we need to put in perspective. So we're going to talk about all of this here. And if you didn't uh, know that NSAIDs by themselves can increase VTE risk, we've known that for several years. I mean, at least a decade. So yes, chronic NSAID use has the potential or has been associated with VTEs, even though that link and causation is is debated because it's more of an association and causation. It sounds good. We think we know how it does it, but even that's not clear. So we're going to talk about this new Danish publication from BMJ. We're going to talk people off the ledge of fear that if they take one NSAID, one Motrin with their low-dose birth control pill for dysmenorrhea, that they're going to pop a clot uh, and then have a massive PE. Everything is possible, but is that probable? We're going to answer that question in this episode. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Dr. Zuniga. Hey, Dr. Java. How's it feel to be an intern? It feels great. It's good to be here. All right. So as an intern, a quick question for you. Hey, you've got a patient who's on a birth control pill. She calls you. I've got some low back pain. And she says, I'm going to go ahead and take my Motrin. Any issues with that? Motrin. So NSAID. Um, baby. Baby? Huh? She, wait, you said she's pregnant? No, she's not pregnant. <laughs> 
So no, she's on, I said she's on birth control oh, pills. Birth control. Oh my goodness. There, okay, you're striking out already. <laughs> okay, let's start over again. You got a patient who's on birth control pills. She has a history of low back pain. Okay. And so she calls you and says, Dr. Zuniga, I know you're one of the wonderful interns. <laughs> Don't let me down. And I want to take NSAIDs. I want to take my Motrin. Any issue with that? Sounds like there should be an issue with it, Dr. Chapa. My goodness. I guess that's... I'll take it. (laughs) So, Dr. Zuniga, here's what we're talking about. There is a brand new study that came out on September the 6th that followed a very large population cohort. It's actually Danish. That actually showed that the combination of certain oral contraceptives with certain NSAIDs, so you see all the caveats, right? Certain OCPs, certain NSAIDs, actually dramatically, relative risk, okay, increased, increases the chance of VTE. Oh. VTE. So were you aware that there's data that NSAIDs increase VTE risk? Yes or no? I was not aware. Right? We always learn about NSAIDs and gastritis, kidney injury. There is actually data, it goes back a decade, that certain NSAIDs can actually increase VTE risk. We're going to explain all of this in this episode. Looking forward to it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so I found that previous publication that we talked about that said that the pill causes depression. That was in June of 2023, not long ago. So the title of that episode was The Pill Causes Depression, New June 2023 Data. And you got to go back and listen to that. But And it really wigged a lot of people out. Like, aha, I told you it did. But you got to take a look at that data, listen to that episode to find out the limitations of that data interpretation. And as we said many times, association does not prove causation. But that was back in June 13th, 2023. So now let's take a look at the September 6, 2023 new data on OCPs and NSAIDs and VTE risk. This September 6, 2023 publication, again, came out in BMJ. The author is Amani Mavi, and it came out of Copenhagen. Again, this is a Denmark study. The title of this BMJ publication is Venous Thromboembolism with Use of Hormonal Contraception and Non-Steroidal Anti-Inflammatory Drugs. This was a nationwide cohort study. Trust me, we're going to get into the data for sure. But remember, this is not an RCT. This is just an observational study. So observational studies can show associations, but they don't have the statistical validity to prove causation. All right. So that's right off the bat. We have to say that this does not mean causation. It's an interesting association. Secondly, there are some big limitations here that we have to say even before we discuss the paper. Okay. Just to talk people again off the ledge of fear. Some information was missing from this observational study, like the rates of smoking and the rates of obesity, both of which can affect the rates of VTE. So that has to be said. One of the big limitations, and the authors realize that, is that this observational study of OCPs and NSAIDs did not take into account smoking and obesity, two big factors there that could have affected their results. And to not leave a complete cliffhanger, here's basically what they did. 
This study followed a lot of women over a 10-year monitoring period and followed their use of hormonal contraception and NSAIDs. And the types of hormonal contraception we're going to discuss, but they were basically classified into high-risk types, moderate risk, and then low risk. The low risk you can figure, those are things like progestin-only or non-hormonal contraceptives uh, like the IUD. The high risk has to do with the type of progestin because remember, the more um, generations of progestin, the, the less androgenic they are, but potentially the more thrombophilic they are, the, the prototype of that is drospirinone, okay? And in this study, the majority of NSAID use was typically uh, was Motrin, just like it is in the U.S. So Motrin accounted for 60% of NSAID use. That was followed by uh, di- uh, Clofenac, which was t- 20%, that's Voltaren, and then Naproxen, made up about 6%. So the majority was Motrin, 20% was di- uh, Diclofenac, and then uh, Aleve or Anaprox and Naproxen sodium was 6%. So before we get into that article breakdown, we really do need to just briefly touch on why NSAIDs are being picked on, right? NSAIDs work, they're great for a variety of issues, but like everything else, anything good taken out of context or taken incorrectly or abused is problematic. Outside of the GI issues and potential renal uh, assaults of chronic NSAID use, there actually is data that some NSAIDs more than others can actually potentially contribute to VTE occurrence. And that's nothing new. One of the first articles that showed this was over 10 years ago. This was back in 2011 in the Journal of Thrombosis and Hemostasis. That's a weird journal. So Journal of Thrombosis and hemostasis 2011. There's an editorial in the same issue of BMJ where the article comes in and this editorial is by Morton Schmidt who actually does state and makes a good point about some of the concerns linking NSAID and VTE risk together all right. So as Schmidt stated quote NSAID use has previously been linked to venous thromboembolism, although causation is debated. As most evidence comes from non-randomized studies, unmeasured confounding, particularly confounded by indication, is a concern. Another concern is the potential use of NSAIDs for prodromal symptoms from incipient DVT, but this cannot explain the increased risk in long-term users of NSAIDs, end quote. So all to say is, yes, there's plenty of data. It goes back to 2011. Schmidt was one of those authors that, yes, there's this association of, of NSAID use, especially chronic NSAID use and VTE risk, although we're not really sure uh, what that mechanism is, but here's the proposed mechanism. So Schmidt goes on to say, quote, the proposed mechanisms linking NSAID use to venous thrombosis includes inhibition of cyclooxygenase 2 derived prostaglandins. This activates the coagulation system by promoting platelet aggregation and suppressing the expression of thrombomodulin. See, we all forgot that. I don't think we were taught that. I mean, we're all taught to worry about NSAIDs, and like I mentioned before, worry about gastritis or renal injury with sustained use. But NSAIDs and VTE risk, some of us miss that. 
Okay, fine. So now we link these two things together because we already have the thrombogenic potential of estrogen and estrogen-containing birth control plus the advanced-generation progestins. Remember those, right? First-generation or very norethendrone derivatives. Uh, and we've got a whole episode of that. In, in, look in the archives. It's, does the progestin matter? And the answer is yes. It matters for androgenicity and potentially, potentially for VTE risk. Because as you move away from the norethendrone-based derivatives, which were first-generation, and you get the second and third and then newer progestins, you move away from androgenicity, but potentially you could make them more thrombophilic, thrombogenic, uh, like drospirinone, right? Drospirinone gets thrown under the bus because of its increase in VTE risk. But when you put it into perspective that you know what's the highest VTE risk, not drospirinone, it's pregnancy. So let's put that into perspective. Just the risk of NSAIDs by themselves. So NSAIDs by themselves increase the risk of VTE. And this risk also was dependent on whether the woman was using a hormonal contraceptive or not. Because those who were using the high-risk contraceptives, which I'm going to tell you what that is in just a minute, had even more than the the additive risk of either one alone. Does that make sense? Because if it doesn't, I'm going to explain it in just a minute. So here's the high-risk Here's the high risk contraceptive uh, batches. Here's what they did. The high risk was defined as vaginal rings, which is odd because vaginal rings is otherwise considered low dose, tablets containing 50 micrograms of ethanyl estradiol, or specific progestins. And again, these are the more advanced generations like desogestrol, gestodine, or drospirinone, or the anti-androgen uh, cyproterone. We really don't have that many pills in the U.S. with that, but it's very big in the U.S. So that was the high-risk contraceptives. The medium-risk contraceptives were those that used combination birth control that were not any of those. And then the very low-risk or minimal-risk were those that were progestin-only or were non-hormonal at all, like the IUD. I think we've laid the foundation here well enough. Now let's get into the study specifics. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. In this nationwide Danish study, which spanned from 1996 until 2017, yeah, it's over 20 years, they followed over 2 million women. That's a lot. More than 2 million women. The study had long-term follow-up for venous thromboembolic events. And what was interesting was while chronic or prolonged NSAID use is obviously a risk factor, here was one of the concerning things that this study found that even a short course of NSAIDs was associated with a higher risk of venous thromboembolism. There's some things in the study that are just kind of hard to explain because in a previous meta-analysis that was done that looked at the risk of VTE with NSAIDs, the pooled risk ratio for developing a VTE was 1.8, which is significant. It's not two, but it's 1.8. But in this publication, the relative risk for NSAIDs by themselves of causing a VTE 
was sevenfold. So that's a seven. That's a seven compared to a one point eight relative risk from a previous study. So that's kind of weird, but it is what it is. But here's the catch, and this was stated in that editorial in BMJ that we got to put relative risk in perspective, right? So so here's a clinical pearl. Remember that relative risk is influenced by the baseline risk. Everybody good? So where do you start? That's the big catch. And in healthy young women, in general, that risk of a VTE is pretty low. I mean, it's actually super low and otherwise healthy, uh, non-high risk individual, that relative risk, that baseline risk is low so that any increase above it looks like a relatively large relative risk. Does that make sense? So all to say in this study, the NSAID alone relative risk of a VTE was seven, but that could be because it was in otherwise young, healthy women that have a very low baseline risk. So that's relative risk. But what does the absolute numbers look like? Well, in absolute terms, NSAID use alone was associated with four extra events per week per 100,000 women. Okay, so four extra VTEs per 100,000 women. And that's, remember, just NSAIDs by themselves, not using hormonal contraception. And for those who were using hormonal contraception, the risk was 23 extra events. So NSAIDs alone, we get that. That was seven-fold relative risk increase, which translates to four extra events per 100,000. And if they were using high-risk hormonal contraception, then it went up to 23 extra events in 100,000 women. Here is the main take-home message of this, because remember that this study talked about incidence rate ratios, okay, IRRs, incident rate ratios. But if you take a look at the absolute risk of venous thromboembolic events in that first week after NSAID use, the absolute rate of VTE, here it is, guys, ready? Write this down, is less than 0.02%. So that's what the data actually means. So if you take a look at IRRs, the incidence rate ratios, yes, they're significantly higher. It's like relative risk. It's significantly higher, but the absolute risk is 0.02%. The other take-home message is if possible and the patient is concerned, then switch to a non-high-risk form of combined hormonal contraception. Go to a medium or to a low-risk. You all know that I'm very LARC-friendly. I think Nexplanon and Mirena is the way to go, but that's just my opinion, and that's because it's user-free. The, the efficacy is so good. But for those who, who need a combined hormonal contraceptive, then potentially don't use a high-risk category, some of those newer progestins like desergesterol or drospirinone, or use them, but tell the patient to limit exposure to NSAIDs. In these cases, then using a Tylenol acetaminophen may be the better option. So there's options here, okay? But when the headlines say, ooh, birth control pill in Motrin uh, is going to make you die, 
I mean, that's, wait a minute now, wait a minute. That's where it gets out of hand, okay? And it scares patients and it scares physicians. While the insulin rate ratio was higher, I want you all to hear this again, the absolute risk of venous thromboembolic events in that first week after NSAID use was 0.02%. And as we get ready to wrap this up, I really like what Dr. Andrew Konditz said about this publication. Konditz is a staple in OBGYN literature and an overall nice guy. And he actually had a comment um, on a website in lifescience.com. And I'll put that link uh, in our reference list, of course. But he has a good answer for what may be going on here, okay? So not discounting the credibility of the study or the findings. But Andrew Konditz said... One of the things that possibly could explain this is called indication bias or protopathic bias. Do y'all catch that word? Use that on Scrabble next time. That's protopathic bias. <laughs> we also put that term in our uh, episode description so you can look at that uh, in more detail if you like. But this term usually means that when you give a drug, when you order a medication that's being used to treat some other symptom of some condition that you even haven't diagnosed yet, does that make sense? In other words, somebody says, oh, I've got this weird myalgias, weird muscle aches. Okay, hey, take some Motrin. Uh, okay, fine. Hey, take some birth control pills. Okay, fine. Well, the the later condition ends up being that they have some uh, collagen vascular disorder or autoimmune condition like lupus. Does that make sense? So indication bias or a protopathic uh, bias in a publication is not Andrew Condit's creation. I mean, this is something that's been in the literature for a while. Uh, actually, that was published back in 2015 in, in the British Journal of Clinical Pharmacology. Uh, they go into this great review of indication bias or protopathic bias. Of course, it's very hard to stratify that because by definition, these patients haven't been yet diagnosed with whatever conditions they're trying to treat. And that is possible here. So how many of those patients were taking a medication that later were found to have some autoimmune condition. Very hard to take into account because you have to go very long uh, in a prospective study in an observational trial. And that's one of the issues here that may be missing. Remember, these are young reproductive age women. And what do young reproductive age women usually get? Autoimmune conditions, lupus, rheumatoid. Does that make sense? And all of those have their own risk of clotting. Just an interesting perspective, something to put at top of mind when you read something that's observational that shows an association but definitely does not prove causation by itself. So here it is, guys, as we get ready to wrap this up. So what do we do with this, right? What is this study trying to say? Well, I think it does make some very valid points. Number one, if we don't have to use a high thrombogenic progestin, which even that is somewhat controversial in some of the data, use something else. That's the easiest thing. Second, just educate women that potentially there is this synergistic effect between more advanced progestin combination birth control products and NSAIDs, so we should limit the use of NSAIDs. Now, remember that the highest risk had to do with a very unique kind of NSAID, which really is not used very commonly at all because most people use Motrin, but it also depends on that type of NSAID. So for those that use, remember that the the association with diclofenac was 12-fold increased risk of VTE alone as compared to just 7-fold increased risk with other kinds of NSAIDs. So stay away from that one for sure. 
So do you see how we have to put everything into perspective? Yes, maybe there's a relative risk increase with a combination of some NSAIDs with some hormonal birth control, but the absolute number, and here's a take-home message, the absolute number of these events is still extremely low. And more importantly, the risk of VTE is highest, not in this scenario, but in pregnancy and the postpartum period. So remember that as a clinical pearl. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. I hope this gives some new clinical insights and sheds some light on this study because the headlines by themselves, which that's their job, right? The headlines are to get you to click on it. That's clickbait and it's meant to get you to read it. So the headline is pretty scary. But when you actually take a look at the data, take a look at the potential limitations, take a look at the relative risk versus absolute numbers. Um, and you put it into the perspective that pregnancy is the biggest risk in the postpartum interval of VTE than anything else at this time, then, then it really is, is not so scary as the headlines would have you believe. All right, podcast family, as always, we're thankful for you. and We're glad you're part of our podcast community. We'll see you in another episode of Clinical Pearls.